Hello, I'm Stuart Chittenden and this is Lives, a show about conversation, community and the people that bring community to life. My guest today is arts consultant, marketing manager, music programmer and sometime van living nomad Brooke Marsek. Our conversation was recorded via Skype. Hailing from Omaha, Nebraska, Brooke Marsek was educated in Lincoln, Nebraska and Eugene, Oregon in the history of art. She is a nature lover and arts enthusiast, which translates very well to her day-to-day life in rural central Jersey, where she is currently the marketing manager and live music programmer for Dine-In Theatre, after having spent some of the past year traveling the US in her lovingly converted 2016 Ram Promaster van. Previously, Brooke worked in administration and curation at the Jordan Schnitzer Museum of Art, Joslyn Art Museum, and the non-profit cinema film streams at the Ruth Sokoloff Theatre. A former park ranger at Arches National Park, Brooke also enjoys sauntering, in the style of John Muir, on a mountaintop, in the forest, or through an urban jungle whenever she can. Brooke, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Let's start with van life, which seems mystical and exciting. Would you give us a definition of what van life means and what it is like to be experiencing and living life in a van? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, one that um, doesn't really have, like most things in life, a black and white answer, happily. <laughs> For me, it looks different probably than um, what it looks like for other people I know of Initially, it was a full-time thing. Uh, I moved into the van um, on January 20th of last year, and I moved out of the van full-time uh, in October. You know, I got I, I went back to living in four walls, and so now I'm kind of a weekend warrior with the van. <laughs> but it's nice to have the opportunity, you know, to take it for a week or two here or there, whenever I, I, I am able to. Um, so I lived in it full time in the winter in the desert. <laughs> um, some people do it, you know, they have the freedom and flexibility to, to do it, you know, only part of the year during the warmer months. Some people have it set up that they have even a wood burning stove, you know, so they can be warm and comfy. That wasn't the case for me. And then, you know, there's the whole differentiation between like a van and a school bus and um even like truck camping i have friends who live out of the backs of their toyota tacomas you know so um it looks a whole bunch of different ways for a lot of different people but for me it was full-time for the majority of the past year until recently is the consistent unifying thread perhaps the home itself is mobile and that you live in a way that defies convenience and the idea that to live somewhere, you have to be fixed in that place. I think the unifying thread, yeah, is like you are living, you're an overlander more so, you know, you live overland. Um, that's another term that we, we use. Um, and for some people, they are constantly on the move. People like, you know, for me, I had hubs. I had my hubs were Moab, Omaha and Hopewell or Princeton. And in between there, you know, I spent a month in Colorado or I spent a month in Missouri and, um, you know, seeing friends, seeing family um, or just exploring on my own. Um, 
So, yeah, I think generally um, the common denominator amongst all people who, who live over land is, I think, a, a desire for simplicity. And uh, as far as, you know, not being a homeowner, not having the things that you need to have um, to outfit a home or the maintenance that you have for a home. Um, and then, you know, one thing that I, everybody that I met that did this lifestyle had in common was just a serious wanderlust. Like we all wanted to see what was out there. What gave you that first inkling that you wanted to live life this way? I had not really been exposed to the idea in a real serious way. I mean, I had, had seen kind of, you know, folks that had retired and done the RV lifestyle, but I hadn't seen people kind of my age or younger and the different iterations of what living in a van could look like or school bus until I moved to Moab, Utah, which it's part and parcel of the culture there. It's part of the community. Um, They're even, you know, changing the laws so that it's more uh, conducive to folks who are transient in and out of the community in their vans, um, but they still are contributing members of you know the, the, the society there um, in one way, shape, or, or another. Um, so I was exposed to it in that way. And then when I moved to New Jersey, it was just so expensive <laughs> that I kind of started to think non-traditionally about how my partner and I, at the, my partner at the time, how we could, you know, I was just, I had sticker shock. I was not used to the, the rents um, and the you know, starter homes start at like $350,000 out here compared to Midwest prices or, you know, a one bedroom is like fifteen or $1,600 compared to, you know, what a one bedroom is in, in Omaha. Um, so happily I've gotten used to that, that sticker shock now, but really it just kind of, I started to seriously consider it when I moved out to New Jersey and then um, just out of necessity, the way that my life happened, it kind of I asked my boss if I could go remote, and, and she said yes, and then I found a, I found a van, and that was that. Words can't let them bring you down Still, silence will drown the sound Nobody knows where the wind will blow How can they tell what the future holds? So there's that inkling grounded in wanderlust and a desire to be mobile, 
as well as confronting the practicalities of home life. What went into your research on how to make van life work and how did you go about finding and equipping the van? I'm sure like most people who have built a home or renovated anything, it is just like a hole that you dive into and you don't come up for air for years. So um, I actually was researching the lifestyle um, just because I was curious about it. And that's when I kind of was like, okay, if I were to do this, would I do a school bus? Would I do a van, you know? Um, And then when it actually happened, when I was given permission from my employers to go remote, I literally like two days later, I was on um, like Facebook marketplace and saw a partially converted van. And then that was October of 2018 and I had purchased the van and committed by Thanksgiving of that year and that's um when you know once I kind of got the green light to go remote that's when the research started in earnest like I had already kind of had an idea of what the gear would be that I need you know you need a, a solar a solar system you need uh, for me I wanted a composting toilet I wanted an oven I wanted running water <laughs> Um, a heat source, light, and then it's just a matter of, well, how does all that stuff fit? And then, you know, there's budget as well. So you can do top tier of certain items and you can do bottom tier. So it was just kind of a matter of prioritizing from that point on. But there's, I mean, Facebook groups and Reddit groups and blogs and YouTube. YouTube was huge. Just, you know, watching as many videos of people who live the lifestyle to see, like, to try to put yourself really in in their shoes. Did you design the layout yourself? And how did you go about the actual construction and fitting out? Yeah, you um, are pretty much building a house without blueprints. So um, I was very fortunate in that I had assistance from um, my mom and her husband, uh, Rod, uh, who was the laborer, and then his best friend, Eddie, who was, or Ernie, excuse me, who was a, a carpenter of sorts. He was raised by, uh, within a carpentry family. And so the two of them, um, when I got the van back to Omaha, because I bought it in New Jersey, and then I was going to build it out in Omaha, it was only supposed to take six weeks. It took three months. And you know, even though I had bought this van partially built out, we ended up just ripping everything out and starting from scratch. You know, I had played around with different layouts and in, you know, in my mind and, and all of that. And kind of once we settled on things, then it was really just a matter of, okay, well, this isn't going to work, you know, in real time, like we built this out and this isn't going to, you know, this isn't going to work. So we need to come up with a plan B. Sometimes there's a plan C. And uh, yeah, you just kind of, uh, go with the flow. <laughs> you have to be very flexible. <laughs> um, and it's not cheap. I mean, I have to say like it, it, in the end, I'm not sure that I would have saved much money if I had continued to live in the van. I mean, the lifestyle itself can be relatively cheap, but the build out was not. How did you feel that very first moment when everything was ready to go and you were about to turn the key in the ignition and drive off into this life? That was a very surreal experience for a few different reasons. The first place I went in the van was Sundance Film Festival. I had, I mean, I had a deadline for work. I had to go to the fest. So um, just the surrealness of like, you're moving into a van and, and the first destination is Sundance Film Festival. Like, 
that in and of itself is very cool and very surreal. It was hard to leave as well. Like it was hard to, I mean, you're, you go from literally one day living in a house to the next not. I mean, driving away was hard and bittersweet um, just to leave family and friends behind, you know, but it was that first night really in Loveland, Colorado. I was on the outskirts. I was in a, you know, I had, pl- I thought I had planned out a good place to stop for the night, but of course the parking lot that I had intended on sleeping in um, had no overnight camping, you know, signs. So thankfully there was a Cracker Barrel just up the road and um, they do allow overnight parking um, contrary. Like everybody says Walmart, you know, stay at Walmart. That's not true. Very often they do not allow it. You only get about four hours, but Cracker Barrels, Cracker Barrels are an overnighter, Overlander's best friend. Um, Cause they do, most of them do allow overnight parking. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, this is the first night, like, this is it. And, um, it was nerve wracking and a little scary. Um, cause I did have somebody try to get into the car that night. It was the first and only time that's ever happened <laughs> the first night, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, it was pretty cool. I just turned the lights on and whatever was going on out there stopped. So yeah, it was, it was awesome. I w- it was a sense of accomplishment cause I had come up with this, thing all on this idea and um it saw it happen saw it come through so it was very cool as you look back in so far as any week was a typical week what did that typical week look like there would be two kinds of typical weeks i would say if i was in one of my hubs like if i was in moab or um out here in new jersey the van would stay parked in one place and i would wake up i would have my coffee And then I would, you know, go to work and I'd have a full eight hour day. Um, I generally, because I, I work on East coast time, no matter where I was at, I would generally keep East coast hours, um, just for ease of things. And then, uh, you know, around four or five, you know, quitting time, I would sign off for the day and, you know, make dinner, go for a walk, um, try to get out of the van. Um, sometimes I would work from the library, like where I worked throughout the day would just depend on how I was feeling. Like if I felt like I needed to be around people or if I felt like I needed more reliable internet than what my Wi-Fi dongle could sometimes afford, <laughs> I would, I would do that. If I was on the road, um, I tried to keep my driving times to the weekends because it's very hard for me to like drive for six hours in the morning and then work for another eight hours, you know, remotely. So I was pretty strict about like only traveling um, on the weekends or at night after the work was done. If I was on the road, you know, it would, I would try to keep the cons- consistency. Like I would try to find a coffee shop or um, very often like national forests. I would just kind of find a place to park in and work from a national forest for a week which is pretty cool, I have to say. And I've done that a few times. Um, As long as I had cell service, I had Wi-Fi. And I mean, you know, there were times like from the middle of the Salt Lake on, you know, on a campsite, I would be having like conference calls or video conferencing. It was pretty cool. I have to say it was stressful, but I enjoyed it. (laughs) You know, technology can really throw a wrench in things sometimes. 
it's also allowed me the opportunity to, to have that lifestyle when, I, when I'm able to. National forests, salt lakes, you're really teasing the imagination of this kind of living. What are some of the highlights of your van life with that freedom? Just being able to work, like I said, if I had a cell reception signal, I could work from anywhere. Um, I mean, Moab in and of itself is a highlight. Um, It's a wonderful place with a wonderful community. And I happen to have found a community there that uh, you know, was really lovely. I had a beautiful spot from which to work in. Um, I spent a lot of time in Colorado and the national forests there, um, on the Western slope. I spent a lot of time on the road going from like conference or film festival to film festival. Um, and that was very cool. My intention for the experience didn't necessarily pan out in the middle of, of kind of buying the van and converting it, um, my father got very, very sick. And so one thing that this lifestyle allowed me the freedom and flexibility to do was to be present for the last months of my father's life. He passed away in July. Um, and also my, my grandmother, his mother, um, while he was ill, also fell very, very ill. So it afforded me the freedom and flexibility to be present for my family in a way that, you know, I probably would not have been able to had I had a kind of traditional um, job. Um, So, yeah, there was some really awesome, cool sites in there. I mean, even though it was the wintertime, like starting out at Sundance and then bouncing around to film festival and then spending a lot of time in Utah and Colorado, that was awesome. But it also, for me, the, the joys were just being able to come back to Omaha or Missouri, where my grandmother's based, and, and take care of my family, which I'm just so grateful for, you know, so. What expectations did you have going into this lifestyle? Um, I definitely thought I would be living in the van for more than a year. Um, I thought I would be living, doing more traveling um, to places that I wanted to go to. Um, for example, every January, 
in Quartzsite, Arizona, there's a meetup of van dwellers and schoolie dwellers and, you know, overlanders called the Rubber Tramp Rendezvous. And I've for years wanted to go to that rendezvous. It's about 6,000 vans and buses and everything that meet up in the deserts of Quartzsite, Arizona. I wasn't able to go last year and I wasn't able to go this year. Um, Baja. I have a lot of friends that go to Baja for the holidays just to get out of the cold. I'd love to have done, been able to do that. And there, you know, who knows, maybe next year I can do that. But um, just there was a lot more traveling that I had intended to do. But because so much of my time was required back at home, taking care of family, that I, I just wasn't able to do to do the, the traveling that I had anticipated. So seems a little... Um, counterintuitive actually now that I say it out loud (laughs) it sounds as if you embrace the underlying ethos of van life which is a degree of unpredictability and your family situation was uncertain at that time yeah that is I mean the lifestyle is one of serious unpredictability everything can be going well and then um you know your water pump breaks or there's a glitch, like a light comes on and you have to, like the headlights in my van are so hard to, to replace. (laughs) So, you know, it's, it's like, okay, then you have to, you have to make, there's a lot of decisions that have to be made, um, all the time and you get used to it, but at a certain point you kind of just want to not make decisions. And that's why I, initially had set out kind of with these ideas of, you know, chunks of a time staying in one place, like in Moab or in Omaha or in Princeton, and then doing little offshoot trips, you know, a couple of weeks here, a couple of weeks there. Um, But again, uh, that didn't quite pan out how I planned, but you go with the flow. You have to with the lifestyle that you've chosen, you know. Shadows fall behind when all the weight you carry is weighing on your mind. I'll be there to show you all the things you're missing and everything we go. I'll be by your side, so let's run away to far away places, escape from this life we have known, your eyes are new worlds to discover, your heart is the place I call home. Adventure, anywhere we are. 
There seems to be an element of courage inherent in not conforming to norms or typical trajectories about life, home and career. What in how you were raised shaped you? I always, that's a great question. Um, I was raised by, you know, parents and, and grandparents who really saw the value in exposing me and themselves to to different places and different people and ideas. And we were fortunate to be able to do that. I mean, it's, it's a privilege to, to be able to take that time um, and explore different places and cultures. So there's a little bit of that. Um, there's some extreme introversion <laughs> um, going on there too. Um, I mean, some of my happiest moments last year were when I was like deep in a national forest, just working on my work in deep work mode. And, um, you know, the vans, were, the doors were open and the breeze was coming in and the sun was there and, you know, the birds are chirping and there's an alpine meadow um, and you can just be, uh, you, you know, it's really a freeing experience. Um my, my love of nature too. I mean, that was, that was really it. I was like, I just want to have this indoor outdoor lifestyle. And then, um, the alternative to, and it's not perfect, but I did, I was intrigued by the alternative non-traditional lifestyle, um, in kind of like this late stage capitalistic context. (laughs) Um, and challenging, just seeing if I could challenge myself to consume less, um, you know, what is it that we actually need um, to exist on, on a day-to-day basis, you know, day-to-day. Um, and I'm so grateful that I had that experience now, you know, it definitely affected my consumption of things for sure and how I perceive that for my own life. How have you changed as a result of the experience? That's a good question. Um, and I'm not, I'm still, I think I'm still processing that. I mean, the easiest or the quickest kind of thing is that I um, I don't buy stuff anymore because, you know, I got so used to the van lifestyle where like everything had to have a purpose and it not just one purpose, but very often two or three purposes. And it also had to have its place. Like you had to, there, you're only have so much space. Um, I'm kind of obsessed now with like, if I do buy something, how can I kill two or three birds with that one stone? You know what I mean? Uh, and then, you know, just the whole, everything that went on with my family and the van was in a weird way, such an integral part of the past year of my life. I'm still processing all of that, you know. Um, it's interesting because my daily car is not the car that I have. It's the van. Like, I I just last weekend or a couple weekends ago, it was so warm out. I just really missed being in my van. So I took the van down by the river and I hung out with in it and I did, got some work done. And um, I think I was emailing with you that day, actually. And it just feels like home in a way that like the four walls don't feel like home it's it's very interesting (laughs) it's I'm not sure I'm not really sure how to describe it but it it just I feel so much more at home in that van than I do in a in a built building it's weird 
I suspect this year in the van will be one of many in your future, though at the moment you are living in a fixed space. Excuse the pun, but what drove that decision? After the death of my father, I was trying to decide. I mean, that's obviously a, a life-changing experience, and um, I was trying to decide what I wanted to do if I wanted to stay in the van, if I wanted to come back to New Jersey and kind of go back up to, to full-time with the position that I'm at currently, or if I wanted to maybe stay in Omaha and be closer to family. I spent a good chunk of time thinking about it, and, um, you know, because I had just spent all this time and energy and money on the van, but, um, you know, I, I just kind of took a step back and looked at what my goals were and looked at what my options were and kind of decided that coming back to New Jersey was more conducive to getting me to toward what my goals are. And, you know, it, mean, it meant that I had to sacrifice living in the van, but um, I still have the van, you know, and so it's like I'm already planning trips up to, like, the Berkshires and the New Hampshire and stuff this summer and already maybe even, like, a road trip next next Christmas somewhere warm. Um, yeah, I, you know, I living in a van in the nomadic lifestyle was not necessarily going to get me closer to the, to the goals that I had, which is sustainable, you know, building, I needed, I wanted to build community. I wanted to have a little bit more like guaranteed and sustainable finance, financial freedom. And all that stuff is kind of here. Um, I'm happy with, with how things have landed. Yeah, it's good. You've touched on something that is a question for many people, and that is relationships and how we nurture those. I suppose many of us assume that nurturing of relationships from a fixed spot or place, and many of us use technology as well. How have your perspectives on navigating and nurturing relationships changed, or had to be flexible in order for you to maintain and nurture your relationships? Yeah, it's a great question. It's very easy when you're living the nomadic lifestyle to um, become a hermit, um, and, and kind of just stay insular in some ways. I mean, let's face it. Like if somebody is at a campground or you're at a grocery store or at a gas station and they see the inside of your van, you are going to be approached. Like it happens very frequently that, you know, I'm out and about and people just want to pick your brain about it. And I love it. Like, I love the opportunity to connect with people on that. Um, especially the folks who are like considering the lifestyle or have like really been intrigued by it and, you know, maybe need that extra push to, to, to try it. I definitely had to make a more of an effort to stay connected with the people in my life that, um, that matter to me. Um, I was happy for it. You know, I was happy for that effort, you know, living in a van, you don't have a lot of the distractions that you have, um, living in a house or an apartment, um, you know, I had limited data, so I wasn't like streaming TV shows, even like podcasts, you know, like you're, you're very limited, you know, I would read a lot. Um, I did yoga and meditation and I, you know, made, I had time to make the effort to connect with people in a more genuine way, sending emails, phone calls, things like that. So, um, that's something that stuck with me, um, 
again, it all came at an interesting time um, at this time in my life when I kind of needed extra support because of, of things that were going on in my personal life. So if anything, this, even though I am, you know, inherently introverted, this experience just kind of reinforced for me um, how important human connection is, both with the people that I care about, but also just like with strangers, you know, people on the street that you are going about your day and you have this one moment where your paths cross and you have this connection about this interesting lifestyle or an aspect of it. romanticize the van lifestyle and yet you conjure these seemingly unfettered opportunities to experience life in unexpected and exciting ways what do you think you missed or perhaps lost out on in choosing this lifestyle well i mean i definitely had to compromise on um like my career (laughs) in some ways um you know because I had contemplated kind of doing more freelance stuff, but I just didn't have the time to kind of build that. So, you know, I was working a lot of hours for like part-time wages, if you will, but I felt like the trade-off was worth it for me. You know, the ability to have the freedom of this lifestyle was, was very much an added benefit. It's hard to say what I lost. I don't know that I lost much. Um, I mean, I didn't, realize it but when I did move back into four walls like when I did move back into an apartment how nice it was to have running water (laughs) in a real way not having to fill up my seven pound or my seven gallon tanks or also to like empty the composting toilet um you know not to get TMI but like it is a function and a fact of living in the van that every week or so I'd have to 
empty the liquids and every few months you'd have to, you know, deal with the solids, um, which is an interesting issue in and of itself. Um, if you really want to get down into the granular, <laughs> um, you'd be, you know, you can't just compost human waste, even though it is composting. Um, there's interesting things you have to do to take care of it. So honestly, I, I don't, I mean, outside of the stability that you have when you're in one place, uh, you know, that's, that's really what you lose, but you know, you're signing up for that when you sign up for this lifestyle, you know? So it's a good question. I don't know. I don't think I lost much. <laughs> I agree. And I think many listening have a sense of envy, which is a real and reasonable response to what you did. What are your dreams for your future now? I'm pretty career driven these days, which was something that I gained actually living in the van and going through the experience um, that I did the past year. I mean, I always knew that I was driven by my career, but this just uh, this past year kind of, I think, really solidified that for me and is a big reason why I came back and, and committed to New Jersey in the ways that I have. The theater that I work for now we're growing and, and we're ex expanding and um, that's very exciting to be a part of. Um, I've been here with the theater since before we opened. So to be a part of this from the ground up um, has been an interesting challenge and very rewarding. And I'd like to continue to see, you know, to be a part of this team and this growth um, kind of long-term. I, I definitely want to open up my own theater somewhere probably, you know, somewhere Western and rural and a place that, you know, would, it would be very much a, a thriving hub of the community. So it's funny because I found a few good options on the road this past year of like beautiful, you know, vintage cinemas that just need somebody to come in and, and rescue them. <laughs> So um, we'll see. We'll see what happens down the road. But I'm quite content and committed to to the East Coast for a while. Um, and it's great because I've not done a lot of exploring on the East Coast. Um, I'm really looking forward to getting to know the different cultural zeitgeist, if you will, of this whole area. Because I think there's a lot of people and a small amount of space and different interesting hubs that you can kind of explore on weekend trips or day trips. Do you have any advice for people considering either van life or otherwise making a bold change in their life? I'm sure people are, are tired of that, that know me well um, are tired of hearing me say this, but the thing that I always go back to is something I heard somebody say a few years ago at a film festival. It was like a, trying to get you to think before you saw the film. And um, the question was, who taught you fear and what are you going to do about it? And um, I was terrified the day that I asked my boss if I could go remote, but I was more miserable, you know, in the situation that I had found myself, the living situation that I had found myself than, than not. You know, I, I was more afraid to stay with the status quo and so um, it's very scary, but if you don't look at things as like failure as really more like every, everything that you do is just a learning opportunity, a growth opportunity, 
or that that's what failure is, you know, um, I think it becomes more manageable in that way. And you're going to make mistakes. Everybody does. But I would just say, um, don't let that fear um, keep you from trying to accomplish something that you've been dreaming of, you know. I asked you earlier how you had changed. What about how people around you have seen changes in you? Do they describe you in different terms now? Yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the whole van dwelling thing fits into a larger scope, if you will, of a period of change in my life that started a couple of years ago. I think the van, the, the ability for me to ask for what I wanted and then to fulfill it was a symptom, if you will, of, of that. And so, um, again, it goes back to, um, I think people would say that I'm less fearful now. I mean, I hope they would, but also more open and honest with myself and with others about like what I can and can't do, what my needs are, um, what my boundaries are. And that's really out of respect for myself and out of respect for the people that I care about. I hope that's what they would say. I think it's, that's what I've had conversations with people about that. So hopefully that's true. <laughs> do you see yourself as an inspiration to others? Uh, no, no. Um, I mean, I'm sure folks might find some of, you know, some things inspirational. Um, I have definitely lived non-traditionally in some aspects um, from the van life to like moonlighting as a park ranger, uh, all of these things. But um, I don't think so. I hope, I don't know, maybe I am. <laughs> see some images of Brooke's van and some of the locations in which she found herself, go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash lives radio show or to our Instagram feed at lives radio show. I've been in conversation today with arts consultant, marketing manager, music programmer, and sometime van-living nomad, Brooke Marseille. Brooke, thanks for your conversation. Stuart, thank you so much. Uh, a great honor. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to more conversations. That's the end of this week's show. Our sound engineers are Mark McGaw and Dalimar McTizik. I'm your host and producer, Stuart Chittenden. Live's radio show is an executive production of Squish Talks. Find links to podcasts of this and previous shows via our Instagram and Facebook profiles at Live's Radio Show. Join me next week for more conversation, community, and the people that bring community to life. <laughs>